0: All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. It was Billy Sunday. It was Billy Sunday who said, The backslider likes the preaching that wouldn't hit the side of a house. And then he says, While the real disciple is delighted when the truth brings him to his knees. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. And we are continuing looking at Bible mysteries. There are seven of them that that we're looking at in the New Testament. The first one we saw was the indwelling Christ. We we know that Christ is in us, and we saw the biblical proof of that. And it's not just something we believe because it makes us feel good. Uh, It is a living reality And Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul tells us in the book of Colossians. We looked at the relationship between Christ and the church, and we discovered that that relationship that we have on this earth of marriage is a model of, a reflection of, a symbol of, if you will, a far greater relationship that Christ has with his church, the Bride. And you know, I believe if if we as believers would would look at it and and make a conscious effort of seeing it in that context, how much better and richer our marriages would be. You know, folks, I'm not interested in just having a marriage that we're going to make it, we're going to stay together, all right. Okay, that's setting the bar kind of low, isn't it? Uh, You know what? I I want a rich marriage that grows in love year by year. And I believe one of the ways of doing that is when you realize what all of this pictures. The relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And as a man, I stand in the place of Christ in this relationship. What an incredible thought. And, and, and as, as a woman, you stand in the place of the church in relationship to Jesus Christ as his bride. What, what, what an amazing thought. And how that, how that will deepen and enrich our marriages and bless our families. Now this morning, we're going to look at the third mystery, the third Bible mystery. And folks, this is all over the news this is, this is being lived economically all over the world and in the markets. This is being lived politically and all over the world and in the United Nations. Even the war in the Ukraine has implications to this when we think of Russia prophetically as the bear in prophecy. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you know, there's all kinds of speculation that uh, You know, the Ukraine's going to be the sand in the gears of Russia. And and I don't know how all that's going to come out. I don't think anybody does. But regardless, Russia still figures prophetically at the return of Jesus Christ. So whatever happens here is not going to be the undoing of Russia. It's not going to be the undoing of Russia. Russia figures in Armageddon, I believe. And it's talked about as the bear prophetically in the word of God. And the return of Christ, all of that comes together. And and so politically and economically and and throughout the world, uh, this is a huge subject. And I'm afraid, I would expect lost people to not understand it, but I'm afraid a lot of believers don't understand what's going on and how it relates back to the nation of Israel. So let's pray for a moment. Father, uh, help us now. There's There's so much here. There's so much here. There's so much more. Uh, than we even have time for. And so God, help me to have the discernment to say those things that would edify and that would encourage and that would bless. And Lord, that we might go forth into this world with a better understanding of what you're doing and what your program is all about and how we can better tell others about Jesus Christ. Father, these things can be tags, they can be springboards for witnessing opportunities. And so to this end, we ask in Jesus' name that you'd help us now, amen. Romans chapter 11, the apostle Paul talks about Israel. And Paul had a love for his native nation, even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles. You see this throughout his writings, this yearning he had that his people, the Jews, would come to Christ. Now, he knew that as a nation, because uh, officially their leaders had had turned away Christ as as their king and their Messiah and and Savior and and had him crucified, and then uh, all the way up to Acts chapter 7, it seems if you read those chapters that God is offering Israel another opportunity to repent of that deed, of rejecting their king, and by Acts chapter 7, they stone Stephen to death, and the the gospel's going to all the world, in this program of, of Israel being the chiefest of nations, and God bringing in a kingdom on this earth, on this earth, would be suspended for a while. It would be put, if you will, in limbo. But as we look around us and we see prophetically what's going on, we realize that God is is bringing things back to this. He made some promises to a very old man in Genesis chapter 12 and he intends to keep those promises. And so I want us to look at Romans chapter 11. I want you to see some of the things that Paul has to say about this and we'll glean from this as we go. Chapter 11 verse one, He says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. That's the first thing you ought to notice. He hasn't cast them away. He hasn't cast them away in the sense that he's done with them, he's through with them, or that anybody else has replaced them. He still has a purpose in mind for them, even though that purpose has been put to the side for a while. It's been tabled. You and I do that. You'll have a certain plan for a certain situation and uh, things won't work out, but it's not something you want to cast away so you sort of put it off to the side for a while to be visited once again later on. He says, For I am also uh, an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 2, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Now, let me be clear about something. I am not saying or implying for a moment. And I say this to you because as a new believer, this used to confuse me. I would hear about Israel being God's chosen people as a nation. So I think to myself, well, are they all automatically saved? And the answer to that question is no, they're not. Just like us Gentiles, that is non-Jews, each individual Jew must trust Christ as their personal Savior in order to go to heaven. What we're talking about is is as a nation, as a nation, God's purpose for them. As a people, in the aggregate, God's purpose for them. And and it's true that uh, the ma- vast majority of them are are very much set against Christ and against being saved. But there are those that do get saved. There is a remnant. There's always been a remnant, and that one of these days God's going to restore the nation, even though the nation right now is in a backslidden condition and away from God. And uh, it all goes back to their crucifixion when their king came. And you look at verse two, he says, what ye not with the scripture saith of Elias, how that he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Well, what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if it be by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more of grace, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written... God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a, tra- a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them; let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back alway So he is he is chronicling in detail the blindness of Israel at this present time. And by the way, I, I mentioned to you last week uh, one of the things that's a little bit. Uh, peculiar about all this, and I think it 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 emphasizes this this blindness. I can't tell you the number of times that uh, that I have heard of Jewish leaders being quoted, or even uh, just Jewish individuals, uh, their suspicion of Christians who uh, who want to be a help to Jews and and Christian organizations. There are Christian organizations that uh, try to help the nation of Israel, and. They, they still can't even see that. They, they see conspiracy behind it. They can't see that God's people would love them because God loves them. They can't see that God's people would love them because, humanly speaking, they're the ones that gave us the word of God. This book, every author of it, is a Jew. Your Savior came from the tribe of Judah. Judah. I mean, God said to Abraham, you know, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And it has come to pass. And as believers, we appreciate them for that. And yet, even that, because of their blindness in the aggregate, I'm not saying every one of them, but in the aggregate, they have the tendency to be suspicious. What's that about? You know, what's the motive there? Well, the motive is the love of God, just like it's stated uh, verse, um, verse 10, let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So now we become, uh, we, we get the benefit of them being set aside of their blindness, of their rejection. God turns and gives the gospel to the whole world. And you see that in the book of Acts. They they stone Stephen to death in chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, you have um, the Ethiopian eunuch getting saved. Uh, and then in, in chapter 9, you have uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus getting saved. In chapter 10, you have uh, Cornelius getting saved. A- and you have Ham, and you have Shem, and you have Japheth, and you have... The whole world being represented in those next three chapters, the gospel's going to the whole world. And here we are this morning. Here we are this morning, a result of that program. A result of that program. <clears throat> he says in verse 12, Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentile, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are of my flesh, and might save some of them. See, he always had this burden for his kinsmen. By the way, that's, that's, that's one of the first signs that somebody is truly saved when they get saved, is they have a burden for their family to get saved. I've seen that so often. He said, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? but life from the dead. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness and of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. So what's he dealing with now? He wants to make Gentile believers understand. Are you ready for this? we don't replace Israel in God's program. The church is a whole separate program. It's a wonderful program, but we don't replace Israel. God still has a plan for Israel, and he he deals with any potential conceit or arrogance that might slip in there. In the minds of Gentile believers thinking that they've sort of pushed Israel out and to the side, that's not the case. He says, verse 19, But uh, but thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, for if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Now again, understand he's talking about people groups in the aggregate. And it is going to happen. Listen, folks, God is going to judge the Gentile nations severely during the tribulation period. I was talking to somebody the other day, and this, this whole thing with COVID and how it just turned everything on its head... And when you look at the book of Revelation, and you look at the vile plagues, and you look at the trumpet plagues, and you look at the bowl plagues, and you look at all those plagues poured out on the earth, the COVID virus doesn't even show up next to the severity of those judgments. Oh my goodness, what's it going to be like? Jesus said men's hearts failing them for fear. Just at at the, the onslaught of news just coming in like Job's messengers one at a time and seeing all these horrific things going on. God's going to judge the Gentile nations. And he's going to bring Israel to a place of repentance so he can restore them and establish the kingdom on this earth with Israel as the chiefest of nations. When you look at the world situation right now and you tell political leaders that that's going to happen someday, most of them would laugh at you. Here's a country struggling for its very survival, surrounded by its enemies, outnumbered multiple times. And yet God has them there to this day. He says, verse 24, For thou wert cut off the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree. How much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, now watch this, that ye should be ignorant of this What? mystery lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part is happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles become in and so verse 26 all israel shall be saved as it is written there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from jacob so he says don't be conceited partial blindness for israel they're going to be restored someday and the nation will be restored because a deliverer will come, which, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this portion of Scripture is what I call a cult buster. Because all the cults and all the, all the apostate religions under the name of Christendom assume that they take the place of Israel. They assume such a thing. Notice chapter 16. Keep your hand here and go to chapter 16. I know it's Sunday morning, and I know the conventional wisdom is, you know, your Sunday morning crowd can't handle the deeper things of God. I don't believe that. I believe Bible is good on Sunday morning just like it's good on Sunday night and it's good on Wednesday night, and it's good in Sunday school. Look at chapter 16 and look at verse 25. He says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret from the wor- since the world began, to be established, to be established in these truths so we don't be carried away with every wind of doctrine. Theologically, apostate Christendom and the cults assume that their organization or church will usher in a kingdom someday, which is false. Jesus will come and bring the kingdom with him. We're not going to straighten out the world and then the Lord someday go, oh, that's pretty neat. I think I'll claim that. That's not how it's going to work, folks. How could God temporarily set aside Israel without disrupting his whole program? How can he do such a thing? Well, we have an amazing God, folks. Look at verse 32. Look what Paul concludes here. He says here in 32, he says, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Now watch the praise that he breaks out into. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? I mean, the apostle Paul is, is amazed at this sovereign God who gives Israel this opportunity to receive their king and a kingdom. They reject him. They reject the kingdom. And then God, without missing a beat, says, okay, I got this little secret in my pocket, this thing called the mystery. I got this thing called the church. And I'm gonna use this apostle to the Gentiles to reveal this mystery to the body of Christ. And for about 2,000 years now, with Israel set aside... We've had the church age, and when God picks up the program again with Israel, it will not disrupt one single word prophetically from the word of God. And you want to know something? If Israel would have decided to obey God, it still wouldn't have disrupted anything. You know what? When I think of sovereignty, I don't think of a God who robotically makes everybody do what he wants them to do. I think of a God who is so sovereign that he gives man a free will, and if man blows it, his will still will be done. And that's what Paul is praising him about. He's he's amazed at this great truth. Faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. God chose the smallest people. God chose a stiff-necked people. God chose a people that are good at making money. And I think that's sometimes why Gentiles don't like them. A Jewish fellow passing through a village one time was speaking to one of the Gentile mer- mer- uh, uh, merchants, and the, and the merchant said to the Jewish fella, he said, "Well, he said, "You won't see too many, you won't see too many Jews in our little village." And the Jewish fella said, "That's why it's still a village." <laughs> he chose the smallest people. He chose a stiff-necked people. But you got to love them. You got to love them. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Let's turn there for a moment and remind ourselves of something. This is where it all started. You know, people uh, talk about uh, politics and elections and all the different issues and what are the important issues. And there are a lot of uh, big issues, but uh, very few are dialed into this situation. And If we had the time this morning, we could talk about uh, Harry Truman becoming president, which, by the way, was so unlikely, which was so unlikely when you study it. I mean, he was a throw-in vice president and a throw-in candidate that nobody thought had a chance, and uh, FDR didn't even give him the time of day when he was the president, and Truman was his vice president in all kinds of crazy circumstances, he ends up becoming the president, and in his background is a partnership with a Jewish man in a haberdashery. And, and what that was uh, were, were shops in those days that sold men's accessories, hats and belts and ties and and shoes and things like this. And, and that relationship that he had with that Jewish man gave Truman a a special liking and, and, and a certain attention to those people and an understanding of things that a lot of presidents haven't had. And when the time came, when the time came, folks, we signed on with Israel going back into their land. And historically, we've been a friend of Israel. Now, I know there's times it's waffled, and right now uh, it's, it's, it's who knows what. But you you look at the way God worked all that out, and I look at this right here. Look at chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. When you think about it, if every every politician in our country understood that concept and we would stand by Israel, how important that would be to us as a nation. I think of nations that turned on Israel and went against them. I think of Spain being in power during the time of the Inquisition. and By the time the Inquisition was done and their persecution, not only of Christians But of the Jews, England whips the Spanish Armada in a most unlikely fashion. England's in power. They balk at the Balfour Declaration in 1918. And you look at the German bombing of England during the Second World War, and then the German juggernaut going through in the Second World War, stalled at the concentration camps where Hitler killed six million Jews. They lost the war and were divided. And I think of Russia as a superpower now. And I think of Armageddon, and I think of talk of a new world order. And folks, like I said earlier, the bear is gonna be around prophetically. What will we do as a country? What will we do as a country? You know what God allows persecution among those people? So that they might be ready to go back to their homeland. It's called Jacob's trouble. Let's go to let's go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. There's just so much here. But we are living we are living in incredible days, folks. We are living in incredible days. These are unprecedented times. Folks, Christ could come back today. The table is set. Like Brother Sommerdorf said, as CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, everybody misses it every day. The biggest news is that a king is coming. And folks, the table is set. All the prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for Christ to come back has been fulfilled. The table is set. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 4. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Jesus, in Matthew 24, likened the tribulation period to, to a woman in travail. And wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. Folks, it's not the time of the church's trouble. That's one of the reasons and one of the things that points to the fact the church will be raptured out before the beginning of the tribulation period. God's not dealing with the church during the tribulation. He's dealing with Israel. It's Jacob's trouble. Verse 8, For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and I will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, and they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. In verses 10 and 11, he talks about the restoration of Israel. He says in verse 10, therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. Folks, that has not happened yet. They are on They are on alert. They are on dead red all the time. Verse 11, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee yet, I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. So let's talk for a couple minutes about our focus in light of these things. I am going to work off of an article that you're going to get in the vision soon, probably later this week. And because of the perilous times we live in, I think we have to check our focus. What are we concentrating on? What has, what has grabbed our attention? Because I'd like to stand here this morning and tell you everything's going to be great until Jesus comes back. But prophetically, that's not what the Bible says. Now listen, God will take care of you. God will take care of us. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. God will take care of his people. Each individually, but God did not promise that our nation would float along on a bed of roses until Christ comes back and the tribulation starts, while the rest of the world, Christians, are suffering persecution. Now, would I like that to happen? Sure. (laughs) Who that lives here that's a believer wouldn't? But he didn't promise that. So let's consider a few issues here this morning. I think of Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, where it starts out, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Speaking of presidential leadership, I think of the best of times, 2016 to 2020. And I think the worst of times, 2021 to the present. Folks all around us in the world, there's a general coming off of the rails of everything. But within our borders, do we have borders? We're slipping rapidly into socialism, Marxism, and even communistic totalitarianism. Fair statement? Many are looking for a red wave in November. I'm looking for one and a new president in 24, but are you ready for this? What if not? Did God fail then? Pray, yes. Vote, yes. But as I said already, God doesn't promise that all will be well in the USA for his people until Jesus comes back. All the while, the rest of the world, believers are suffering ethnocentric, wishful thinking. And I've watched over the years that I've been a Christian, almost 50 now, that believers can go to extremes when it comes to political involvement. On one hand, there are the let the country go to the dogs crowd who literally counted a sin to vote. On the other hand we have those who have replaced the great commission with reconstructionism. Truth is folks, we have an historically unique situation as Christians in the United States. We have the right to participate. Ask any Chinese Chinese Christian if they would like to be able to vote in their country. We have the right to participate in government and even have our religious liberties protected by the Bill of Rights. And isn't it interesting that in spite of everything that's been going wrong and the encroachments, we still have that. We got security guys keeping an eye on the nurseries for the safety of our children. Amen? We got security guys out in the parking lot because we used to get visited by people during the church service who had this propensity to break windows and cars and snatch purses and wallets. And now they drive up and see our guy, and they turn around and they drive back. But you know what? It's not a police car that's bothering us. It's not a government agency that's bothering us. Isn't it amazing how we still have these liberties, folks? So we have a unique situation. So it would seem foolish not to exercise our rights and privileges as citizens. Yet as believers, we know that we have a sovereign God who rules in the affairs of this world. Psalm 75, for promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is judged. He putteth down one and setteth up another. You want a new president? By all means, vote. Then get down on your knees and talk to God about it because you're going to do way more and accomplish way more that way than you are stuffing ballot boxes because God runs the show, folks. Doc used to say to us that God gives people leaders that they deserve. Oh, my. (laughs) Folks, we can trust him for all matters of time and eternity, even for those he allows to rule in the affairs of this world. For he will ultimately rule as king of kings and lord of lords. Revelation chapter 19. That much is sure. We will finally see the end of all tyranny and the ushering in of his benevolent reign. As we heard a couple weeks ago, a king is coming. A king is coming. And by the way, he doesn't have to win any elections. (laughs) He's not going to take a vote. He's not going to care whether anybody wants him to come or not. He's coming. And the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron. That means nobody's going to stop him, folks. Nobody's going to stop him. And by the, way, by the way, the church comes with him in Revelation 19. If you've never rode a horse before, you might start practicing. So, let's not forget that our permanent citizenship is here, is not here. But it's in heaven. Our hope is an eternal hope. Bible says, your citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're seated together in heavenly places in Christ. Our focus has got to remain on things above with the most important thing being the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Looking unto Jesus, the Bible says, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's always remember Our most important citizenship is in heaven. Our message is the great commission, the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And our marching orders until Jesus comes back have not changed. They've not changed. God is still on his throne. And the devil's not going to knock him off, and no man is going to knock him off. Let me show you how far this thing goes and we'll close. Go to Daniel chapter 2. Go to Daniel chapter 2. The book of Daniel is such an interesting book. It, it, it's got so many prophetic things in it that are that just dovetail with the book of Revelation, by the way. And the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, which, by the way, I was just I was, I was reading this morning. I think it's so interesting that. Daniel interprets his his dream here in chapter 2. And and Nebuchadnezzar is that head of gold. And then in chapter 3, he makes his gold image. I think some arrogance slipped in there, didn't it? But look at Daniel chapter 2 and look at verse 21. Daniel's speaking, and he says this of God. He says, And he changeth the times and the seasons. He changes the times and the seasons. Israel was going to get a king. They rejected him. God says, "Okay, I got a different program. I'll just change the times and seasons here." Nothing disrupts God. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Folks, I pray that our country will have revival. I pray it. I It doesn't look likely, humanly speaking. It's a long shot. But you know what? Every time God's ever given a revival to a nation, it's been a long shot. And it's been in times of apostasy and declension. I'm praying for revival. I'm praying that our country will be a sheep nation in the end and stand by Israel. I'm praying that God's people won't forget missions because God's heart beats as the heart of a missionary, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And maybe God will consider that. And I'm praying that we might be part of a remnant, that when God looks at this country, he sees enough, enough remnant. You say, what's the best thing I could do? I mean, if I wanted to save America, what's the best thing I could do? Live a good Christian life. Stand up for Jesus Christ, be an outspoken witness. That's the greatest thing you can do for your country. Because God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if he would have found 10 righteous. I don't know why Abraham didn't keep going, but he had God whittled down to 10. I don't know why he didn't go for five. That would have been interesting, amen? God would have found 10. He would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. I wonder how many he has to see in our country. To spare it. Where's your focus this morning? Keep your eyes on Christ. Nothing that's going on right now around the world or in this country or in your neighborhood has taken God by surprise. By the way, nothing in your life has taken God by surprise. He's sovereign and He's in control. Let's bow to Him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and Lord. Help us as we consider that word in our lives individually, in our families, in our community, in our state, in this country, and throughout the world, Lord, that you are God. And we read in Psalm chapter 2 where the heathen said, let's cast away their cords and, 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 and let's, let's get rid of this God. And we're told in the book of Psalm chapter 2 that he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. You're not disturbed by any of this. You're not threatened by any of this. You're in control, and we thank you for that. And help us by faith to tie into that great truth and live our lives with confidence in you and faith. Lord, we do lift our country up and ask that you might have mercy. And more than anything else, Father, we know that we need a revival, and a revival involves Christ being glorified and honored. many coming to Christ and your people turning to you in obedience and walking with you in ways that maybe we've never walked with you before. We ask that that might be the case before Christ returns. Thank you for these truths, Lord, and so much more. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 388. 388, I know whom I have believed. Brother Mike Wolski, would you come on up here and please close us in a word of prayer? All right, let's bow in prayer. Our Father and our God, we are thankful to be here this morning. We're thankful for ministering to our hearts. Lord, we know that uh, whenever we look at the uh, news or we hear something that uh, causes us to even shudder or possibly fear, Lord, we know you're still on the throne. We are so thankful, Lord, for your book, that you give us the assurances that we have. We're so thankful for your indwelling Holy Spirit that guides us and gives us peace. We're so thankful for a church that we can come to and we can gain wisdom and understanding and direction. I pray, Father, you'll send us forth uh, this morning. Give us a good day to honor and glorify you. Bring us back again this evening. Help us to live our lives in light of eternity. We love you and count it a privilege in Jesus' name. Amen.